Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 125. And I am really excited to have on this week's guest, Ed Schilling, the assistant men's basketball coach at Grand Canyon University. Uh, Before we got on the podcast here, we were talking about Coach's resume, and it is absolutely a a fascinating basketball journey that Coach has been on, and we will go into deeper detail with that as we uh, roll through the podcast. But before we bring in Coach Schilling... Uh, we, of course, want to thank our, our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you want to check out their practice, go to COSACchiro.com. That's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or to make an appointment, call them at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you like this podcast, if you like any of the podcasts, download, rate, review, give us five stars so that we can help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. And check out the newly refurbished penandanapkin.com. I got some kinks to work out. I know, followers, I got some kinks to work out when it comes to the coaching videos. I'm working on it. We're trying to get some stuff here uh, uh, done. Uh, Just been stretched a little thin, but I will get that taken care of, I promise you. So, Ed Schilling. Assistant men's basketball coach at Grand Canyon University. Coach Schilling, thanks for so much for coming on here today. Marty, thank you. I'm a huge fan of, as you mentioned, the Twitter portion of uh, Pen and a Napkin. And uh, so thank you so much for what you do and, and how you're making a difference for coaches. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Uh, I've got a couple of my players knocking on my door here at the classroom. They're waving at me. They're probably wondering who I'm talking to right now, but that's okay. Uh, they they can listen to the podcast here in the next day or two, and they'll figure it out soon enough. So, there you uh, go. Uh, Coach, it's a privilege. It's an honor to have you on here. Like I said, you've got a terrific background, uh, uh, definitely a diverse resume. You've seen about everything you can possibly see in the game of basketball, and uh you know, I'm just I'm just excited to hear your stories and hear your perspectives. So, uh, before we jump into that, for the folks that don't know a whole lot about you, just just tell them a little bit about yourself, your basketball background, your basketball journey. Well, I I was a son of a coach, uh, um, so I've been around the game my whole life. In fact, my grandfather was also uh, uh, in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame at high school, and uh, so I've been around the game my whole life. Uh, my dad was a uh, uh, NAI head coach in his uh, in his twenties, and so uh, just been fortunate to be around the game a lot. I was I played uh, at college, played at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, played by. Uh, with a guy by the name of Ron Harper, if some uh, people remember that. Uh, he, he, had a, he had an okay a, career. Yeah, he, he's got about, I think, maybe five uh, world championship rings. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was... Uh, I figured out right away um, that things worked out a lot better if I threw him the ball rather than me shooting, uh, which is why I still hold a, a lot of assist records. And uh, and we won a lot of games because I didn't shoot. I passed it to him. So uh, we got a chance to play in a couple NCAA tournaments. And uh, then I got right into coaching. At uh, I was a head high school coach in the state of Indiana at 22 years old. I was, uh, I think, the youngest head coach in uh, high school basketball in the country and also 
also the least experienced. But uh, I, from there, I've just been uh, very fortunate to coach at every level of the game, high school, college, as a head coach, as an assistant, Division One. I've been on the bench in the NBA um, and then, you know, been, been across the country and around the world uh, doing basketball stuff. Well, I, I, like I said, I, I think you've just had an amazing resume. You've gotten to work side-by-side uh, side with some of the best in the game. And you know, that's kind of the, 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 the place I wanted to lead, to lead off with. Uh, you have worked with uh, just, just so many tremendous high-profile coaches. Not to say that because they're high-profile, they're better coaches than you or I or anybody else, but definitely the experiences are unique, and, and there's a reason why folks are at the places that they're at. So I wanted to just take a couple of minutes for each one of these folks and, and just have you tell us, one, two, three things that, that you have learned, uh, that you have uh, stolen, essentially, from uh, any one of these folks, what made them really, really, what has made them really, really good coaches, so forth and so on. Uh, and, and we're going to start with the, with the most recent person that you've worked with the last couple of years here, uh, Bryce Drew at Grand Canyon University. Uh, you know, obviously he comes from a legendary uh, coaching tree with his father and his brother at, at Baylor. Uh, so, so, so tell us what you've learned from from Bryce working for him the last couple of years at Grand Canyon. Well, he's been just a, a pleasure to work with. He, um, you know, our first year here at Grand Canyon, we won the, the WAC regular season and tournament championships and went to the NCAA and um, he had a chance to go against Iowa in our first in the first round game. And uh, I gave him a decent game and, mm-hmm. and I yeah, ended up losing by 12. But uh, and then this past year, we were 23 and eight. And um, I guess probably the, the biggest thing that I've seen with with Coach Drew is that you can be very very demanding without being demeaning and that's he is uh, he is very demanding in terms of execution and he's a very detailed guy but never never is he demeaning he's never i've never heard him say hey you're attack character it's always about a, a performance or here or there he's never never cursed at a player anything like that which i don't know many people at the division one level can say that and but he is just a just a fine man to work with but uh very very detailed very demanding but never demeaning and i think that's the probably the biggest takeaway that i've i've had after the after a couple years not to mention obviously he's a tremendous x and o guy he's he's a he's meticulous in his evaluation of tape and what he pulls from it how much he watches it especially our own tape and uh you know but he's uh, more than anything he's just a really a quality person i think uh, i had a chance to know homer drew his dad uh, before him and and homer is just such a positive upbeat guy it's I always love it when he comes into the gym to watch a practice or i see him before or after a game um but uh but you know it's just been uh, it's, it's been terrific being here at grand canyon with bryce drew yeah I, I was gonna follow up with that you know how much time have you got to spend with homer and scott as well and, and what have you kind of uh picked from those guys you obviously talked about homer have you had a chance to spend any time with scott as well 
Oh, yeah. I've known Scott for many years. And, uh, you know, the great thing, Scott's a, a lot like Homer, super upbeat, super positive, super enthusiastic. And that's the one thing you can get from both of those that no matter when you get them, they're going to they're going to be upbeat and fired up. And, uh, you know, those that's one thing that I really enjoy when you see those two come and you're like, ah, oh, great to great to see those guys, you mm-hmm. know, and and uh, that that's really uh a neat trait to have. And, and those guys are not only have they had tremendous success, but also they, they've had a, a long, long track record of making people feel better about themselves. Can you really, is there any sort of metric that can measure the job that Scott has done at Baylor, considering what he took over there and where they're at now? I mean, a lot of people point at like Bill Snyder at Kansas state with college football. And, and that was maybe the greatest reclamation project ever uh but they never went to a a bowl championship series or or you know came you know they came really close to a national championship maybe once but scott is is in the mix and has won a national championship i mean is there is there any i mean just just try to put that into words the the rebuild job that he's done there well, it, it is an incredible thing. I mean, you talk about from the from the bottom and now to all the way to the top. I mean, they've done it. And, you know, I think the thing that makes it really cool is is how he's done it a variety of different ways with the variety of players. Yep. You know, they're. You know, he's got guys that were kind of pros and high-level, high recruits. Uh, for when he first got got started, he was able to get a few key guys that um, uh, you know that were pretty highly ranked, and he kind of won with them. But then, you know, he wins a national championship with the guys that are kind of not highly ranked, and mm-hmm. and you know, so he's done it a bunch of different ways. He's able to coach guys that that uh, you know that are easy to coach there's guys that aren't easy to coach yet he has been able to bring the best out of all of them and and you know the sustained success has been incredible and also what's incredible is that he hasn't jumped at the first offer to go someplace that's maybe a little bit better uh-huh. he stayed the course there and and just continues to make that job better and better yeah he's kind of made that into a destination job he has, and you know, I'm sure that there'll be things named after him, uh, uh, you know, when he's done, because he's he's certainly done an incredible job, and uh, obviously off the charts and uh, unprecedented. Yep, uh, Archie Miller at uh, your years at Indiana. Uh, wh- what did you take from Archie? Well, I think probably the biggest thing, just the value of having a defense that that's concept driven rather than schematic where, you know, hey, we're going to tweak, we're going to change things for each game. I think the value of having a concept and I think from his brother, Sean, and he, they they have kind of their the ball, uh, you know, they, they have the um, just a, a concepts and here's how we're going to guard things conceptually. And that way that each game is not like, oh, gosh, it's a whole brand new program. But, hey, there's so much value in in being concept-driven. And I think that's one thing. And then, you know, just from a practice uh, perspective, being able to 
what he does is so many, almost all of his drills, no matter what you're doing, boom, he takes it into transition, you know, that everything is, uh, uh, we'll, we'll go transition. We're going to take it, you know, from this drill, boom, we're going full court with it to, on the make or miss. And so I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And that's something that, uh, you know, if you can be very, really good and going from offense to defense or defense to offense, uh, that, that really goes a long way in, in having a successful program. Well, that is something, and you and I both realize this as you get older, uh, the the importance of practicing that offensive and defensive transition because you're going to do it you know, at our level, at the high school level. It's going to be 40 to 70 times a game. A, a real mm-hmm. slow-paced game, it's going to be 40 times. If you get in a real high-paced game, it's going to be 70 to 75. And usually it's going to be around 50 to 60. I mean, that's your average. So – but we but we spend so much time doing other things that we forget that oh my gosh yeah we're going to be doing this more than anything else that we're going to be doing we're going to be doing this and how important it is to to hammer those principles into your players absolutely that's a great great point mm-hmm. uh, Steve Alford at UCLA um, you know other than Grand Canyon probably the nicest place you got to coach at right coach. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> if you like seventy and sunny, you know, you you go L.A., you go Phoenix. You know, yep. so uh, you, you can't always pick it. But no, uh, working with, with Steve was great. We were big. We were close friends before we worked together. Um, I was about the same era. I was just a year behind him in high school. So okay. we complete competed in high school, and then I actually coached against his dad when I was at Logansport High School, and his dad was at Newcastle High yep. School, yep. and had worked his camps back when I was a player and things like that. So I, I had a, a long friendship with the Alford family. And, um, but then, uh, getting to work with him at, at UCLA was, uh, was really something special. I, I still remember the first time I went to do a work, a few players out and I'm at Poly Pavilion and I'm looking up in the, you know, there's just the lights, a couple guys and some basketballs. And I'm looking and I'm looking at those, those names hanging in the banners. And I'm thinking, wow, it's a long way from, uh, Lebanon, Indiana, you know, but, uh, um, you know, you see those, those names up there is pretty intimidating. Then when you go in and out of the building, you get to go, go by John Wooden's statue too. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that was always, uh, it was a pretty, pretty special thing. Some, sometimes, uh, intimidating thing, but, uh, always, uh, uh, special, but, uh, you know, going to your initial question, what do we learn from, what did I maybe gain from, uh, working with coach Alford and, uh, you know, biggest thing that I think he has a unique gift is that he, he was really in tune with the players physically and mentally. Uh, like he always kind of knew, okay, they need, we need to back it off in practice or we need to give them a day off or, uh, you know, from a mental standpoint, these guys are kind of beat down. Let's do that. And, and I think maybe it's because he was such a good player and he played for Bob Knight and those type things that he was really in tune with that. And I felt like he did uh, as good a job as anybody I've ever seen of, keeping the players legs fresh and their minds fresh uh he just does a fantastic job with that and you know he's going to get 
which you might gain and maybe a grinding out a couple more practices or a couple more hours on the court, he gains by keeping these guys fresh and keeping them hungry to play. And I think, you know, from my four years with, with Steve, we, we went to the sweet 16, three of the four years. And I think a lot of that is just because he was, he just kept those guys fresh. And then the other thing he did is he never overreacted. Uh, something could happen. We could have just a, you know, the wheels fall off the wagon in a game and, uh, uh, but you know what? He didn't overreact. You know, he, uh, you know, address some things. He wouldn't go crazy. And, and you know what? Didn't overreact. And so, you know, he never lost the next game because of the previous game. And, and uh, you know, he just has a, a great feel on that those fronts. I got to borrow that one a second. Uh, just a second here. Don't lose the next <laughs> game over the previous game. Uh, that's a good one. Um Hold on. Almost got it scratched out. There we go. Oh, and uh-oh. we're there. Uh, is it a napkin? That's what I want to know. Uh, it's, it's on a piece of paper. Uh, you know, oh, okay. a, the, 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 the napkin is for everything else, but the, the, there's actually papyrus involved here on this one. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it, it had to be um, it had to be such a privilege to be at UCLA. Uh, but, you know, Indiana. UCLA, there's there's also that pressure, that that expectation, and you know, three out of four years, you guys are at the Sweet 16. But I'm pretty confident that I know enough about how the world works at that level that there were those that said, "Yeah, and what else?" And and, and I'm sure yeah. that had to be another like a, another dynamic that you were introduced to there that that was, uh, you know, it it made it. I don't want to say it made the job tough, but it was just a different dynamic than maybe at other places. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I always kind of, uh, as I've gotten away from UCLA and doing other things, it, coaching there is, is a lot like coaching the USA men's basketball team. Mm-hmm. It's only a big deal if you lose. Okay. You know, if you win, okay, yeah, okay, good, you're supposed to. I, okay, you went to the Sweet 16, yeah, okay, good, yeah, you're supposed to. You know, let's see, if you lose in the Sweet 16, all right, well, let's get them next year, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's like USA men's basketball. Like, if you lose, oh, my gosh, now it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with that comes, uh, you know, you, you have to be intrinsically motivated um, because you're never going to meet the extrinsic uh, yeah. <laughs> goal you know, expectations. So, uh, you have to do that. And, and, uh, you know, so it's not, not an easy thing, but it, but that being said, I mean, it's, uh, when you, when you picked up the phone to call a recruit, uh, and you said you're from UCLA, you usually were able to continue with the conversation. That's mm-hmm. not always the case. So, and, uh, when you got on, uh, when you go into a gym and you have UCLA on, they, they usually let you in pretty easy too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I get the same thing with my Fort Calhoun gear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Roll out the red carpet. Yeah, yep. exa- yeah, right. Yeah, they, they, they. Maybe if I'm lucky, if I see a carpet the entire time, I don't know. So. Um, uh, you know, the 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 guy that you had three different stints with, or three different jobs with, I should say, uh, yeah. Coach Calipari. Uh, you, you started out with him uh, at UMass. You know, right place, right time, and you go from high school to a Final Four team that was the second best team in the country that year. And and if it wasn't for an all time team, you're probably national champions that year. And then you go yeah. from there to the New Jersey Nets, 
And then back to, 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 to you know, you end up with back with Coach Callett at Memphis when he went back into the uh, when he went back into the college game. So let's talk about Coach Calipari and just your, you know, like I said, the, the things that you've poached from him along the way. Well, one, just first of all, just what a loyal, loyal guy and friend he is. You know, that's one thing. If you're if you're one of you're one of Coach Cal's friends, you're friends for life with him. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. You talk about loyalty. Um, that's where that's where I, I start with Coach Cal. As much as being inducted into the Springfield Hall of Fame and things like that, I mean, he's more than that to me. He's a he's a loyal friend. That if your back's to the wall and you need something, you know, you can pick up the phone and call him. And just like his players, uh, it doesn't matter if you're back uh, one of his first teams at UMass or uh, a team at, at uh, Kentucky or wherever. He, if you're one of his guys, you're one of his guys. For better or for worse, he's sticking with you uh so that's that's the first thing and and maybe the most important thing um but the next you know just one he's never going to lower the bar uh you know with the players his will it was always stronger than the players will and i think it is a lot of the times it came like you know what it's just easier to do what he tells you to do than than the fighting because he's not giving in he's he's never lowering the bar and i think his teams play so hard and I, i don't think you really get a true feel for how hard his teams play until you've been on the sideline you've been up close for you know day after day to see how hard he gets his guys to compete and i think that's just because i mean he's just got a uh he has a standard and he is not lowering the standard he has a vision for what it's supposed to look like and how hard guys are supposed to play and and he is unrelenting in getting them to play that level Mm -hmm. uh what was the transition like and what did you learn you were you were with the nets for just the one season correct yes yeah what what did you what did you learn through that one year of of being at the highest professional league possible in the world i mean like you said the only thing that's higher than that is the international competition unless you know the aliens invade at some point uh but uh you know what's what were some of the things that you learned from that experience that you feel like made you a better coach well, one, just how important spacing is. I know I was the head coach of our summer league team. Uh, he, he allowed me to take a team, and we did uh, one of those uh, summer league deals. And, and uh, just the difference in a couple feet and how much of a difference that makes as you go up levels, you know, it's, uh, you know, get making the shot is the easy part as you go to the NBA and actually every level you go up getting, making the shots, the easy part It's getting it. That's so difficult. And the difference in a, a foot to your left or right is the difference in being able to get a shot off at that level. And I think that was one of the biggest things I learned about, uh, when I was coaching in the NBA was, man, just how important, that spacing is and and then the other thing is if 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 you've got a weakness it is going to be exploited and they're going to keep running at they're going to run the play after you go right after that weakness play after play after play until you get it corrected till you sub till you do something different and uh but you know it's it's really such a much more uh detailed game than i think you would probably have at least you know as i watched the nba basketball before uh before 
before I coached in it. I'm like, oh, yeah, they don't do anything. Well, there's so much being done that you don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And that that's probably the biggest eye opener for me was just just the, what a difference a few few inches makes in that game. Mm-hmm. You uh, you were part, like I said, uh, that UMass team that you were part of. Uh, a legendary team, one of the probably one of the best teams not to win a national championship. Not to rub any salt in the wounds here, Ed. I apologize, <laughs> yeah. but and I do have to confess, I was rooting for Kentucky in that semifinal, and so I apologize for that. But you know, that being being part of that, you know, in, in my mind, that was one of the best Final Fours in recent memory. You know, definitely for me, anyway, in the top five. Yeah. What, what 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 do I know? Uh, but what was that journey like for that particular team uh, coming, you know, going through that? You, you beat Kentucky early in the season. I, I think you only lost one game before the Final Four. And mm-hmm. and just being that around that driven of a team, that cohesive of a team uh, back in 96 with that Marcus Camby team, what was that like as, as a coach and, and learning from that as well? Well, one, we, we started off that season and we lost to the Converse All-Stars in an exhibition game. And this was like about a week before we had to play Kentucky in the uh, grade eight in the Palace of Auburn Hills. And so we, we see, you, you know what we're up against when we're going to go play Kentucky. I mean, I think oh. they had not guys that went on to play in the NBA from that team Mm -hmm. and so we lose to Converse All-Stars where you know they had still like grass stain on their tennis shoes from cutting the (laughs) cutting the lawn that summer in those and uh, so I I remember sitting in the uh, in the in the locker room and the AD comes in at, at UMass and Cal's like hey if we can really, really, really improve, we might make the NIT this year. Uh, now you got you you just telling Bob Marker, you the AD said, now you just gotta come to grips with we're not that good. We if we make the NIT, it will be a great year. And as, as Cal got us ready, got the team ready for the game against Kentucky, he's like, right now they've got us ranked here. I don't know, we were top ten or something. And and but in reality, we're about two hundred ninetieth in this in basketball. And then we practice, and it was you talk about unbelievable intensity. And it was like if you've ever been in a place where there's just about the fights getting ready to go down. And there's that like tension that was like how the entire practices were. I mean, it was that that edge. Uh, There were no fights, but it was like that. It had that feeling of that level of intensity. And then they come in after the practice and he'd say, "Okay, we went from 290. I say we're about after that practice. I say we're about 250. And then he come in the next day and I think we're about 190 now. And then the next day. So by the time we got ready to play Kentucky, you know, we were right behind them, Mm -hmm. you know. We're, you know, they're number one. We're number two right now. And then we went out and we we played them. And Marcus Camby just put on a show in that that game. And we end up winning the game and winning. I think our first twenty eight games or twenty five games in a row. And uh, but I, I think one of the main reasons we we won at such a high level uh, one was the intensity and all that that Coach Cal brought. But I think also Marcus Camby was such an unselfish player yeah. that he he didn't care if he scored. You know, he scored a lot some games, didn't score a lot others, but he just cared about winning. And when your best player in the preseason, uh, you know, 
first team all American is completely unselfish, doesn't care about stats. All he cares about is winning what that does to your team. And, and I think Marcus had that impact on our team that it was all about winning games and had nothing to do with selfishness or, or, or points or rebounds. Even it was about winning. And, uh, you know, so I think that was really a, a big takeaway from that, that season was one, how Cal could kind of, he, you know, I'm sitting in there as an assistant, nodding my head. Yeah, all right, we moved up. All right, we're ready for these guys. I think, wait a minute, we we just got beat by Tom Versall stars. How are we going to beat these guys? And uh, but you know, he he has that impact, and that, and he has that ability to sell a vision and an idea and get you to believe. And I'm like, wait a minute, I, I know better. But, you know, he and he got those guys to believe and he got them to play together. And then you have a guy like Marcus Camby, who 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 puts the whole thing in motion through unselfishness. It was it was quite a quite a ride that season. Absolutely. Let's talk about the the most important coach you've worked for. And that would be your (laughs) wife, April. Uh, You know, she uh, former WNBA assistant and, you know, uh, the, the first people that should be in heaven is a coach's spouse. Uh, we, we all know that, but she obviously has a, you know, it's, it's a unique perspective for you. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Well, one, she just was a great player. She was a top five player uh, coming out of high school in the country and went on to play at at university of Tennessee, played for Pat summit. And uh, to be a point guard at, Tennessee for Pat Summit is, uh, you know, one of the more difficult things you could do in life because, uh, you know, she it, it kind of an interesting thing that she would have her point guard. So she and Kara Lawson would go and watch tape in Pat Summit's office every single day before practice. You know, a lot of times you think, oh, a coach is going to grab a guy, watch a little tape here or there. Every single day, they had to go and watch tape in Pat Summit's office. And if anything went wrong, it was the point guard's fault. And uh, so you talk about uh, uh, having having to get some thick skin and and uh, understand what pressure's like. You know, she was playing in front of twenty thousand people. They were selling out every game back yep. then. Oh yeah. Um, so she was one a very a terrific player, but also had a great understanding of the game. Um, she was actually uh, my assistant as we coached at Park Tudor High School. So we won a state oh. runner up and two state championships, and and, and she was my assistant. And coach so it was uh uh so she was not only a, a great player but also a great coach and then also was a, a coach to her own high school team and took them in her one year took them to the the final four in the state of indiana and uh just most recently she's coaching a, a prep school team here in uh, phoenix arizona and they were uh, she just inherited a team that wasn't very talented at all, and they were state runner-up this year, and then were in the final four of the grind session for prep schools. So uh, she's doing that as well as advanced scouting for uh, the Minnesota team uh, in the WNBA. So, uh, but she's a great basketball person, but uh, you know, unbelievable heart and and compassionate, and uh, just really really gets it on on every front from basketball, but. Uh, uh, no better person on the planet for me. Yeah. Well, we all out punt our coverage a little bit, right, Coach? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a napkin.com, a great resource for any coach at any level. 
In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. Apenandanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. You had a the one time you ventured out, and like I said, you, you had a good run uh, that led you to working with Coach Cal and, and leading up to uh, you know, getting the net, you know, with UMass and, and all that other stuff. Uh, you ventured out on your own. Uh, you were a head coach at Wright State for six years. Uh, had had a couple of good seasons, but things didn't kind of work out the way that you wanted it to. And it, ultimately, any of us that does this job long enough, very few of us go through an entire career without some sort of failure along the way. And it's not necessarily failure, but just not reaching where we wanted to. Uh, what what were some things that you took from your experience as a Division One head coach that helped you become better for kind of the quote-unquote second half of your career and you've transitioned into uh, being an assistant coach for, for Coach Alford, for Coach Miller, for Coach Drew, and so forth and so on, all those guys down the like going back and working with Coach Calipari at Memphis. What were some things that you took from that experience that helped make you a, a better coach uh, down the line? Well, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I think as I look back at, at, at the Wright State experience, one, it was terrific to be, I, I think, the second youngest Division One head coach in college basketball, and, and not only by a month or two, but, uh, uh, you know, it had a great opportunity to go right into college coaching. And uh, I had been a high school coach for all those years. And then uh, for seven years in with Coach Cal, I went from high school to college to the NBA in 310 days. And then, boom, the next thing I go right into division one head head coaching uh, job so you're you know it's you know this coaching game can sometimes be like the game shoots and ladders if you're <laughs> there you, you're oh, going up, you're going up real fast and all of a sudden you hit a you hit a, a ladder and you just slide down you know I had a big shoot to, to go up and then I had a, a ladder up and then a shoot down but uh, you know learned a lot you know one of the biggest things I learned is is I was probably going in probably too legalistic and and could have uh, had more grace I was uh, you know kind of hey we're going to set the standard here and and drew the line and and uh, it was probably too much so uh you know if a guy missed class we all ran at 6 a.m they did it again you know they missed two or three classes all of a sudden i, I suspended them for a game and you know i was just then if they didn't miss missed it again after that then they out of the program and so i was probably way too much that way and, you know doing it uh looking back on it to be able to have some more grace to be able to uh hold to a high standard but at the same time, not penalizing the rest of the team and, and, and doing some things like that, I would certainly do different. Um, also, knowing where you are and as a college coach, being able to understand like, OK, who's going to be the best fit and who would you have the best chance for given uh, the school and, and the unique uh, the unique things about that school? What kind of kids would you best be able to attract and uh, that would also be able to to have success there? And. And so I think I, being able to how important it is to evaluate your situation and what kids are going to be most successful, uh, that would be something I would do. And then uh, making sure you don't overreact. If you make a mistake one way, don't don't swing the pendulum too far and uh, that that you overreact to a situation. And now you don't put yourself in a position to be as successful as 
you might be. So, you know, learned a lot of things at Wright State and, and also got a chance to coach against great, great coaches there. When I was in the Horizon League, uh, my first year, there were eight teams in the league and, and three of them made the NCAA tournament. So if oh, you wow. think of that... Eight, three out of the four, uh, out of eight made it, and that was Butler was into going into the heyday there, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean it was just Detroit had uh, a lot of the uh, transfers back, like uh, uh-huh. uh, the Coach Green. Now we see him on the bench in the NBA. He was playing for for Detroit oh, as well as uh, for Perry Watson. Yeah. Yes, Perry Watson had it going there, and uh, they beat UCLA in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you just go right down the line. UIC at the time, uh, Jimmy Collins was oh, was yep. coaching there. They had mm-hmm. had really good teams. And then you go to go to Milwaukee while I was there. They only had uh, uh, they only had Bo Ryan and and Bruce Pearl coaching <laughs> at, at Wisconsin. So I, I got a chance to 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 have a lot of fun against these guys, and uh, so it was just a terrific league. I mean, we were. Uh, just, uh, you know, we were just a, a step behind these power fives at the time. So I got a chance to coach against uh, just great, great coaches. Mike Heideman was at, at Green Bay and he was following, that was his first year coming off after uh, the bit, uh, after following Dick, Dick Bennett, Bennett there. Yeah. So, you know, they had that system in place. And so it was just a great opportunity to, to coach against, I think, great, great coaches and really, really good programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you've made numerous transitions, uh, throughout the year. Like I said, you started out as a high school coach, you go to college, you end up in the pros for a year, you know, division one head coach, then you go back to high school and now you've been at the college level. Uh, you know, what, uh, what were those transitions like? Was there, was there an adjustment period, especially maybe like, I don't want to say coming back down, but you know, you're kind of coming back down and then, you know, you know, how do you, how do you adjust that from, okay, I was working, you know, I, I was working with professional guys with, with the nets and division one guys, but now I've got the superintendent's kid playing for me. And, and he, you know, he just got done mowing the lawn that the Converse all-stars missed, you know, <laughs> that type of thing, right. you know, you know, how, how, how did you, uh, or how do you, uh, you know, adjust your expectations perhaps, or your, you know, how did you perhaps maybe change some of your teaching style and, and things like that as you, as you made these various moves? Well, I think as you've coached at the different levels, you you kind of you really need to understand what's your why for coaching. Why are you doing what you do? Why are you why are you walking out onto that court, that court each day and things? And I, I think whether you're coaching for me, whether it be the NBA guys or coaching high school kids at Park Tudor High School, where there was a no cut policy, so anybody made the team that came out. Um, you know, to to doing that or, or being a Division One head coach where you're you know you're you, you got to go talk to the a bunch of media after game and deal with boosters and that stuff the the bottom line is it's about trying to make a difference in in young people's lives mm-hmm. and trying to make a difference and, and that's what it's about so whether it was working with a guy before practice or before the game at, with the nets or, or or working with high school kids and and, and young kids that uh, while I was doing the high school the next time at Park Tudor high school after doing some of those things I had a not-for-profit basketball academy where we were training third graders up to to college and then I had a a, a pro for-profit so I was working with getting guys ready for the draft so I think over seven years I think I had 
oh gosh, well over 70 guys play professionally. And uh, this past year I had 40 of them playing in the NBA, um, but that, that he got a chance to to train. But while I was doing that, I was coaching Park Tudor High School. And the the bottom line for me was, man, I, I just want to make a difference. And, and when they step across the line, I want them to be better players, whether it's a, a kid that's never going to play beyond, uh, you know, a, a rec league after high school, or if it's guys that are going to be playing in the NBA All-Star game. I want them to be better players after every time they step off the court. And so the why is the biggest way to make a, make the transition. Why am I doing it? I want to make a difference in them as players. And then ultimately, I, I hope that I can make a positive difference in their life mm-hmm. and maybe give them some life skills that are going to help them to be successful as men. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's what it was. That's what it's about for me, whether, like I said, UCLA, Indiana, the Nets, Park Tudor High School or, or, or Grand Canyon University. That's what it's about for me. Coaches, I love doing a pen and a napkin. It is something that was intended to become a hobby, but it has become a passion and a blessing in my life. I love helping coaches, and I hope that I've been able to help you in some way, shape, or form. I want to do more, but I need your help to do that. I've recently opened up a Patreon page to help a pen and a napkin grow even further, and I'd appreciate any help that you would be willing to give to a pen and a napkin. From the layup tier, and for as little as $3 a month, to the three-point tier, your generosity will enable a pen and a napkin to grow and develop even greater projects than we've already done. For more information, go to apenandanapkin.com and go to the Patreon link, or go to patreon.com backslash apenandanapkin. Coach, at this time we're gonna we're gonna transition uh, to our John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, our first 100 episodes we had the Don Meyer quote of the day, and since episode mm-hmm. 101, we've jumped to the John Wooden quote of the day. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, I take it from uh, Coach Wooden's books. Uh, Coach Wooden's book, A Lifetime of Observations, and mm-hmm. so uh, you know, one of my favorite, dog-eared and highlighted the the, the snot out of that one. Uh, so, uh, got the John Wooden quote of the day and I'm going to read it here and feel free to, uh, feel free to comment on it and, and kind of give us your interpretation, kind of what that quote means to you after I get done reading it. So, uh, you ready ready to go here, coach? Yes, I am. All right, here we go. The John Wooden quote of the, all of a sudden I can't talk. Uh, the John Wooden quote of the day, and this is from page 154 of Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations, is... People learn more effectively if information is given in bite-sized amounts rather than everything all at once. Mm. Uh, that's that's good. He, I, I was fortunate. I got a chance when I was a high school coach to go and spend four hours in John Wooden's living room. Oh wow! And, in the condo, and it was it was yes, his little condo and. Uh, outside LA. Um, but anyway, we got a chance to go and, and we talked for about four hours. It was the best coaching clinic I had. And we, we hardly talked about X's and O's. And, uh, it was just about, uh, it, it was just things like you, like we're talking about. And, and you know what? I, I gained a whole lot out of that. He didn't, fire out a whole bunch of X's and O's, but what he gave was, was concepts and, and ideas. And he would quote, he, he would quote poetry. He would quote scripture. He would, you know, he was breaking out Abe Lincoln stuff. He was, 
you know, and he was showing me this picture and that picture. And I think because I was from Indiana, small town, Indiana, it kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, where he was at, at one time growing up uh, uh, where I was coaching. So, you know, I, I got a chance to hear some of those quotes and it would just kind of would flow out of him um, just like you were reading it from the book, maybe even a little smoother. Uh, he, he would, uh, you know, he would just share that. But I think it's true. It, it was, he, he never, he wasn't trying to preach to you. He, he was, he was just speaking out of his, you know, just out of who he was and out of his character. And, and that's ultimately this saying about bite-sized pizzas and, you know, so much more is, is caught than taught. You know, mm-hmm. we teach all this and we're this and that. And then we give these, these unbelievably in-depth scouting reports and man, they, all of a sudden they don't do one minor thing. And we think, man, how could they not do it? It was on the scouting report. Well, it, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't something that was taught. And I think that quote is saying, you know, let's give them bite, bite-sized things that they can take and actually apply mm-hmm. So often we give them so much stuff that it's like trying to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. You really can't do it, even though there's a whole lot of water flowing out. And coaches, we want we're we're giving out so much information, but at the end of the day, it's about what can they actually take, absorb, and then use in the game. And I think that's what that quote is. Uh, what it means to me. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up, coach. When when I was coaching collegiately, and that was you know it was a small college. Uh, NAI level, uh, like your dad. And, uh, you know, we we have all these details and things like that and all these different sets. And the more, uh, long story short, too late, the the farther I get into my career, I know the more I just – Keep it simple when it comes to the scout. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Give them the basics. Now, and, and by doing that, I think that when you, when you make a big deal about something, then your player's like, okay, this is, this is another level. This is, this is something that you know, we really have to pay attention to. If coach is putting this much time and effort, this must be something that we really need to do. Uh, because, <clears throat> because I think if we, if we make a big deal about everything, if we kind of Lou Holtz them every single time, then that starts to go in one ear and out the other, especially with the amount of information and, and as, as savvy as the kids are today, uh, that's going to work against you wor- rather than working for you. That's my interpretation of part of that as well, of, of what you were kind of saying, just kind of picking <clears throat> up from that terrific absolutely yeah and you you want to make sure you you keep their respect and i, I remember my high school coach uh, jim rosensteel uh he was a hall of famer and uh coached uh, many years i think he had 800 career wins and um but anyway he you know that's like he said if you're yelling and screaming all the time what are you going to do when you really want their attention <laughs> scream you louder yeah you know so uh, you know, and that, it's so true. It's, uh, you know, so often we, we don't want to cry wolf in, in our coaching and, and that's a, a great way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Well, coach, let's jump into, let's jump into your philosophy, your teaching style. Uh, a lot of the things that you emphasize and, and like you had mentioned before, you've done a lot of work with a lot of different players, one-on-one player development and, and, just like you guys at Grand Canyon, all of us are heading into the off season. For us, it's a little bit of a lull period because uh, we're not allowed to do anything until you know most high school teams aren't allowed to do a lot until after Memorial Day. Once we get into the summertime, the official summer. Uh, but but I wanted to talk a lot with you about 
player development today and, and working with players and things that you emphasize in, in your workouts. And I know that's, there's some fluidity with that, but just kind of give a, you know, kind of go through a 30, 30,000 foot view on a lot of the things that you do. Uh, I, I know there, I, I, I saw as I was getting ready for today, uh, you had a, a, a DVD out there, mandatory moves and things that all players kind of, you know, here's the mandatory moves. If you're going to be a complete player, here's the things that you need to have. And, and I just kind of wanted to, to start in that realm, in that area, just talking about player development in general. And I'm just going to kind of let you go. And if I have a question or if I feel, you know, the need to pop in with something, I'll kind of try to, to, to gently work my way in there and ask a question or two. But just, just talk to about, talk to us about your player development philosophy and and how you uh, work with individual players. What are you emphasizing? What are the key things that you think are important for every player to have? So forth and so on. And, and just kind of let us into your world a little bit there. Well, I, I really feel like um, the better player handles the basketball, the more confident they're going to be. So uh, even though they we may have a seven-footer, um, like I work did Greg Oden, for example, if you remember him back oh, yeah. when he was uh-huh. coming out of college, I did his pre-draft uh, workouts, he and Mike Conley, and had a nice crew uh, that year. But I still had him working on ball handling as our warm-up because I just feel like no matter what position, even though Greg Oden wasn't going to be bringing the ball down very very often down the court, the better he handles it, the more confident he is with the basketball, the better he's going to play. And so I like to do, um, when I did my pro workouts and when I work out guys individually, I want to warm them up by getting in a stance and dribbling the basketball and have a lot of different things that we do, two ball things and stuff like that, to just try to get maximum repetitions, getting them in a stance, and that's how I warm them up. I know we have... In today's uh, world, we have trainers that want to spend 20 minutes getting them warmed up, but I like getting them in a stance and pounding it and doing two ball things and making it measurable and uh, getting them, the more we can dribble and the more we can handle the basketball while getting them warm, uh, That that's the way I like to do it. I want to get a full sweat up in 10 minutes dribbling the basketball and then we can start to move it. And uh, So I have a whole progression of how we like to do it. I'll do two ball stationary then we'll do two ball moving uh, then I'll, then we'll go to uh, what I call the chill drill uh, I taught at the five star camp for years and years um, but then that gets them moving working on our footwork out of our dribble moves which would be then applicable to you know, if I'm a forward off the catch and then bigs even in the post, that type of footwork are all involved in the chill drill, which only takes a few minutes. And and uh, but then what's I, a, what's I the chill like, drill, Coach? Can you is is it possible for you for you to explain it over the the podcasters? I can. I you can see if this if you follow. We start with one basketball. You're at the baseline sideline intersection so you're in the corner you're going up the sideline with inside out so you go on on over the line explode by the defense you're staying on that sideline all the way up to the half court sideline intersection where you execute a spin move where we're going to pull the basketball spin move uh, so now the ball is, if we start in that right corner, now we spin, the ball goes into the left hand, and then it's back off to, when we get to the jump ball circle, we back off, cross over. So now we'll cross it and explode out. So now, again, this is a footwork drill. Going to the other side of the jump ball circle, going along half court, it's a half a whirl. So it's a quick stop, 
half a spin, bounce it, and explode out. So it'd be like a quick spin in the post or half a whirl if I fake like I'm going to do a reverse and come out of it. And then go to the half other half-court sideline intersection going behind the back. So now it goes from the right hand to the left. And I'm going on an angle towards the basket. And at the three-point line, I go stutter step through the legs and explode in for a layup with my right hand get it out of the net now it's a speed dribble just like i got a breakaway i got a steal or something the ball came out and now i got to try and go three dribbles pushing it ahead with a speed dribble to a pull-up jumper at the top of the key foul line so again we, we we've gotten in every dribble move from inside out spin crossover half a whirl behind the back, between the legs, that's six, plus a speed dribble pull-up. So we've worked on our footwork out of every dribble move and then finishing with a jump shot. So I would have them do, uh, for my pro guys, they'd have to make the layup and the jumper counts as one. So they have to make three of those uh, from the right side and then three from the left. So some guys who get stuck on that where you, you know, you're, you're, you're really, it's in a, it, the drill itself takes about 12 to 13 seconds to do it. Um, but if you miss it, I'm like, ah, oh, you missed the jumper doesn't count, you know? So we'd have to make three from right and then three doing it. Everything's the same, but you're starting the ball on the other corner with the ball in the left hand. So it's inside out with the left spin left to right, push back, cross right to left half a whirl with the left hand behind the back, right to uh, left to right stutter step between the legs, left hand layup. I don't know if you followed any of that, but nope, uh, nope, nope. I'm scratching <laughs> it out as we go here. So, but uh, it was something I taught for, if you go see five-star guys from days gone by guys like Grant Hill and all those kind of guys, they'll see you say, Hey, remember the chill drill? They'll go, aha. You go grab Gordon Hayward. I just talked to a friend of mine that was ran into him. And I said, tell him, uh, it's something goes, Oh, not the chill drill. <laughs> so, uh, that was all kind of part of my warm up. I do the two ball stationary two uh, two ball moving. Then we do chill drill. And then I say, all right, now we're warmed up and ready to go. But that was how I would start a workout, and it's ten to it's ten fifteen minutes. But you have a full sweat up, and uh, fortunately, I never had a pulled muscle in uh, in all my years of doing it because we would really get them a great warm up in ten to fifteen minutes, all but using the basketballs, getting them in a stance, and now we're ready to go on to our next phase of the workout. Mm-hmm. And um, so I always want to feel like I, I want to get guys better on the basketball and when i do the two ball i had a couple different ways but when i did my pre-draft training um i would record every dribble so we go for 20 seconds on every two ball and we'd have about 20 of them that we would do uh two balls hitting the ground together every time it hits the ground it's one and then i would record it and then i go alternating and every time the right one hits it's one and we record it and um right over left and you know you can go you know all the two ball things but i would record it and so that then okay we want to try to beat your score uh on the next day we did it next day and so we'd always want to see how many and then i would circle it if they beat their best score and the idea was we want to see how many circles you get so after about a week of doing it 
gets harder and harder to beat your score. And so we're constantly pushing them. They don't realize that they're actually working on their defense as well. They're getting more and more reps dribbling, but they're in a stance the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm constantly saying get your, your, your knees bent, your back straight, your butt down, you know, so we're in a basketball posture and position. And so while we're doing that, we're getting a great warm-up. We're working on getting many repetitions, dribbling the basketball. And my, my feeling was after about seven days in a row of doing it, they really kind of felt the difference with the basketball. The, the ball felt better to them, whether they're catching it, grabbing a rebound and busting out one dribble, or if they're actually a point guard or a guard and they're bringing up against pressure, the ball felt tighter. It feels tighter normally after we do it. So that's how I would start just about every workout. And then I would go into specifics. What are, What's an area of emphasis? So whether it be, okay, you need to really, we're going to work on a specific thing. I normally do a shooting thing and then bigs that have a whole finishing routine that we would do. Um, and the reason why is, you know, if you're a guard, you got to be able, you need to be able to make shots. And if you're bigs, you better be able to finish. I just digress for a second. I remember I was at Park Tudor High School and I was taking them through my shooting routine, which would take about 30 minutes and we record everything and all that. And, we get in the game and we just keep missing layup after layup. And I'm just beside myself. And I'm thinking, then I got thinking, you know what? That's my fault. Mm-hmm. We work on shooting jumpers, but we don't work on finishing. So then I have a whole finishing routine that I would do with the bigs. And they, I would record all this as well. So we're, you know, getting the rebound, putting it in, shot two pump fakes, put it in, shot fake, reverse it on the other side of the rim, you know, all these different types of finishes so that now you're not going to believe it, but we actually got better at making layups when we started practicing them. So, um, (laughs) but but, but that's the stuff that, that, that you, sometimes we take that for granted. We'll make a layup. Well, we have to work on that. And, and especially, you know, I've coached girls for 25 of 26 years or whatever the number is. And we spend an inordinate amount of time just working on making layups because we as coaches take it for granted, but we shouldn't because so many games are decided about the team that makes layups as opposed to the team that misses layups. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, what happened when we started making layups, we started winning games. We, uh, and I can uh, th- this high school team at Park Tudor again. I had been um, I had been a high school coach. I'd been with Coach Cal at UMass as we talked about the Nets. Had been a head coach at Wright State at Memphis for a couple of years. Then I did this academy, and while I was doing that, I did the high school Park Tudor thing uh, for fun. But um, you know, once I, I decided when I went to Park Tudor, I was going to try to practice what I preach. And so I spent the first hour of every practice of a two hour practice, not two and a half, but two hour practice. I would spend an hour of it on skill development. We worked on dribbling, passing, shooting, finishing and handling pressure. And we would spend the first hour on that. And then the second hour, we would do more break down the offense, break down the defense, whatever, but um, do the, do five on five or whatever. But uh, I, my, my thing was I wanted to see if, you know, I, I wanted to practice what I preached. And, and uh, you know, it was a situation where I really wasn't overly concerned with winning. I was just trying to make a difference for these kids. They asked me to coach this uh 
the high school and it was a private school. There's no scholarships Mm -hmm. and uh, it was a super high academic school. And uh, we're playing in the heart of Indianapolis, this this private school. Every kid goes to college. There's a no-cut policy in the school. And so any kid, because they're paying a lot to go to the school, um, you know, every kid makes the team. So I got some kids out there, they, they can't hardly even take a dribble. But, mm-hmm. so, but anyway, we... We started off that first season, and they had only won a few games the year before and all that. But uh, we did have one good player. He was only a little sophomore. He's about five foot seven at the time, a kid named Yogi Farrell, who ends up being a great player. But yeah. he's the he's the one player on the team. And and uh, we start off the year four and eight, and we're just getting getting crushed but we keep with the process we keep doing the hour skill development and we keep getting and we start to get a little better and we start to get a little better and a little better and and by the end of the year we end up going all the way to the state championship we lose in the state championship um in front of thirteen thousand people uh we lose uh, by three points and long story but we end up winning the state championship the next two years and but we stayed with the formula that we did skill development for the first hour and then did team type stuff the next hour mm-hmm. and uh but anyway, um, but that's where we really put an emphasis on, okay, bigs and bigs was a, a relative term. I don't think I ever only had like maybe one kid that was, uh, you know, we'd have one or two kids that were had any height at all. But uh, our inside players would have to be able to make layups. And so your point, uh, it's amazing how many layups are missed and what a rally killer that is when you mm-hmm. miss a layup. Yep. Uh, so, with, with your uh... – Talk, talk to us a little bit about your finishing move series and some of the things that you're teaching there uh, as far as, you know, finishing the ball around the basket. Because, again, most of us, 99.9% of us, our players are playing under the rim. And and the ones that have them playing over the rim, they're probably kicking the snot out of everybody that's playing under the rim. But, uh, you know, so how do we, you know, how do we work on that? What are some things that you do with your players to, to focus on that finishing around the basket? Well, just it, starting with the, the simple mic and drills. I know uh, people think, oh, well, that's, you know, that, uh, I'm above the mic and drills. But uh, I remember taking a, uh, a an NBA guy. He was a, a, a high pick and he came and, you know, his, his agent sent me to work with him. And so I, I start off doing the mic and I do mic and reverses 30 seconds and mic and reverses and two feet facing, two feet re, uh, reverses, then miscellaneous where it's fake pivot, fake pivot score, you know, where you're moving all. And, you know, he was, and he was just tied him in a knot. And he's like, I'm just not good at these kind of drills. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's about as easy and get. This was a seven foot guy that was playing playing for the Pacers at the time. And I'm like, not good at drills. This is kind of as basic as you get. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, as coaches, we think that's that's about as basic as you can get is just simple micans and keeping it high or, you know, even doing some other other things out of it. But that that was just the start of it is being able to make make layoffs in a mic and drill type situation off one foot, off two foot, facing the basket, reverse your backs to the basket, making them because be surprised how often you cut to the basket and you got to be able to catch it and finish it. You don't have, you're not, they're not always going to be a a set thing. And so that's the first part of it. And then being able to, I do a thing that uh, will, I kind of, 
I uh, got from Will Ray, one of my assistants at Wright State, a legendary coach in Chicago, uh, now at Northridge Prep. But, uh, um, you know, we do a timing drill series and, and we throw it off the glass and you go up and you get it, jump as high as you can, come down, keeping the ball above the top of your head, immediately white, right back up and in like you're hitting a springboard and do it on the right side. Then you do the same thing, throw it up on the left side as high as you can go get it. And, you know, you can do it with small groups on this. And I, I have our guards do it as well sometimes and so you do a couple couple sets of that right left right left then you go the next one where i throw it off the glass i go up and get it and i pump fake chin to forehead chin to forehead two fakes and in and being able to stay loaded and i i I, i'm gonna pump fake keeping my knees bent and uh, being ball strong not taking it low um doing it doing that too so i throw it from here starting inside the foul line lane line throwing it up go get it two fakes then the next thing um is i throw it up pump fake reverse it to the other side so i pivot on my left foot reverse it with the right shield with the left and then do it from the other way where i jump go get it pump fake pivot on the right shoot it with the left um do that however many laps you're gonna do and then power slides i throw it up against the guys i get it power slide to the other side of the rim no fake get it to the other side of the rim and score um doing that and then uh throwing it up like an alley-oop i throw it one step um so this time you only can get one step go get it and i gotta put it in off the glass without coming down and the reason why most games are one on the put back rather than the jump shot and so i've got to be able to go get it and put it in the basket and so doing that and then the last one of those is uh, i would throw it up and hit it against the rim or the backboard or the net as many times as I can, land, back up, and score it. Uh, obviously, uh, with guys, much easier than than uh, some of the others that I've worked with. So, you know, those are just some of the basic timing drills and finishing, timing and finishing drills that we try to do most days with bigs, uh, certainly bigs and sometimes guards as well. And then after that, I go with our short corner finishes because so often, whether it be against the zone or penetrate, guard comes down, jump stops, throws the pass to the dunker spot, uh, you know, which is just heels to the baseline, halfway between the lane line and the three-point line. And now I got to catch it and rip it below my knee, get my back to the defense and finish it and do the same thing from the other. So we do that. And then the next a couple times right side right short corner left short corner then we do the same thing but instead of ripping it below the knee we go knees stay bent but i rip it over my eyes like they're trying to reach in against the zone you know as the 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 middle of the zone turns and tries to get that short corner and i rip it over and score so doing that from uh right left right left and then the last one of those uh is a reverse pivot so if my back's to the uh, the baseline, the foot closest to the basket, I pivot on and I reverse pivot. So like they go for the steal and I reverse pivot and score. So I'm working some footwork into the finish, both sides. And then the last one, I catch in that short corner and I jab it like I'm going to rip it and I shoot that short corner jump shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of the finishing series, um, just kind of uh, uh, flying through it. But mm-hmm. uh, again, being able to, uh, as a high school coach, you know, we were recording all that. So I had a coach that would record, you know, they're going 30 seconds, Mike, and how many we make and 30 reverses. And now we're doing the, the timing drills and then finishing with just kind of 
just generic post stuff where I spin it out, drop step baseline, score, next one's going, next one's going, I go on the other side, then drop step middle, then baseline, pump fake and score. And, you know, just kind of doing that, I had a whole series while the the guards are going through or the perimeter guys are, are going through our whole shooting series, which is just basically three man, two basketball. We've all seen it. Elbow to elbow, slot to slot, you know, all that catching. Now we're going four spots, but off the bounce, I catch it, go right, one dribble shot, back to the spot, left, one dribble to spot, doing those from there. And then, then five spot threes and all that, where we keep a record of all that stuff. And, and I would like to, and I would post all those, uh, I called them black and red shooting. When I was at UCLA, they were blue and gold shooting. And so you got to be able to change colors, you yeah. know. So, but I would keep the record. And as a high school coach, I would post our our shooting, our, our black and red shooting, you know, what was their their number made and then total number, you know. So they have an average and then a, a total number. So an average per day. So maybe they made 120 or, or more that on a given day. You know, and we would record it. And then at the end of the year, we would give a award for black and red shooting and then black and red finishing, you know, had two different systems. So mm-hmm. uh, and the idea was anytime uh, we can make it make it measurable and, and hold them accountable, the better. And I think as you get many of your athletes are going to be. Um, I think of Jeff Teague, for example, when I did his training, we just do something. He didn't do it very hard, but as soon as there was competition involved, oh, it's a different level. He's trying to win it. If he just said, okay, we're going to do two ball dribbling. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a disaster, but as soon as you compete against somebody now, all of a sudden it's on, Yeah, you know, if if we're just shooting, he's going to slop it up there. But if, if we're going to say, all right, Jeff, you got 52, Mike, you got uh, 63. All of a sudden now it's it's a completely different deal. Yep. And so I want to do as much as we can. I want it to be measurable. I want to be able to hold them accountable to it. And then also more than anything is to show them how they're improving. And then at the end of the year, we want to give them confidence because of how much they've done. So that I can say going into the state tournament, we deserve to make open shots today. Here's why. You've made 12,362 shots three-pointers you've made this many three-pointers you deserve to make them when they come you know and so you you give them a point of uh, a a reason to be confident and that they have paid the price and they can see how many shots they've made so uh that's just kind of a a little flyby of how we're starting practice and and what we're trying to do there Mm -hmm. a pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at apenandanapkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, apenandanapkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. When you're when you're in practice there, do you have like 
a a ballpark number of things that you want to accomplish. Like, for example, you want to see your players get X amount of shots up every day. You want to try and work it into your practice plan that we're going to get X amount of free throws in every day. When you're talking about that hour of skill development, is that something that you've thought about, that you've considered, that you uh, have made that part of your formula of your practice plan when you're putting that together? Absolutely. I I have my practice plan that I know I'm going to do either black or red shooting today. When we go uh, to our finishing routine, okay, I'm going to choose. I have a have kind of like a little uh, menu of things that I'm going to I'm going to probably pick a couple of these to do. And, you know, whether it become, OK, we're going to handle pressure. That was a big thing at at Park Tudor is uh, we weren't going to be as athletic as the, as the teams you were going to play. So we had to put a premium on being able to handle pressure without turning the basketball over. And I know one year we averaged uh, seven turnovers for these for the game for the season. And, uh, you know, so we I have a whole bunch of handling pressure drills. So I know that I'm going to do about you know maybe two or three or four or five handling pressure drills every practice so what's one what's one or two of those that you'd be willing to share coach because i know uh, you know obviously you've been at the high school level numerous times that's a lot of times that's just the difference in the game whichever team can handle the ball better and not turn it over against pressure is going to decide who wins it whereas you know when you're at ucla and indiana let's say a lot of times it's well who's going to really execute in the half court and mm-hmm. with the high school game a lot of times it's just about being able to get it up the first it's a challenge to get it through the first 75 feet sometimes so what are some things that Absolutely. you've done what are some things that you've done to help handling that pressure well, one, just starting off practice, when we go through kind of our basic pre-practice or, you know, some of the things that I tell you, we would implement them as a team into the uh, pre-practice, but we just go toughener drill. So, like, if the two of us were partners, I'd have the ball, and I have to have a foot on the three-point line, and coach says go, and, and I've got to pivot and move the D, move a rip it below, over, under, and you're trying to slap it out of my hand, fouling me, slapping my arm, slapping my wrist, trying to knock it out, and as hard as you can, no, you know, you can slap as hard as you want. You're trying, as long as it's a basketball type play, you're trying to knock it out of my hand. So I'm going maybe 20 seconds, boop, switch. Now you have it. You got your foot on the three point line facing the basket. Now we're all the way around the three point line. So everybody's got a partner and ready go. And we're we're gonna do this for probably two, three minutes every day. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take long. It's too but it's pivot. Uh, eyes on the rim, butt down, see the floor, eyes on, rip it, rip it below the knee, over the eyes, step wide. You wanna you wanna shrink the pressure, stretch the pressure, you know, split the pressure, you know, so step, rip, over, side, side. And we wanna be always be able to own that neutral zone. The the neutral zone between the offense and defensive player, whoever owns that area usually owns that possession. And so I wanna own that neutral zone. Zone. And so that I always can keep my eyes on the rim, whether I'm stepping there, I rip it through. My eyes are on the rim the whole time. And you'll see when you start it, guys, are their eyes are flinching like, you know, their heads turning away. And uh, so we want to be able to attack that pressure. And one of the first things is what we call a toughener. We do that almost every single day, 20, 30 seconds switch. 
2030's a switch. We'd maybe do it three or four. And guys, and then I'll pair them up. No, you go with, Marty, you go with uh, this person. And so you want a guys that are, are going to make each other better, not just uh, get through and, and, and fake it. So normally have a couple bloody noses the first few, uh, you know, the first few days. But they, they learn to figure it out. And so that that's one. We do, uh, let's say, snake passing. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. So you, you use between the, the sideline and the lane line if you can imagine that going mm-hmm. all the way up the court. And so you have somebody taking it out. Then there's one person catching it. Two people are then going to trap that person. Then it's, mm-hmm. So it's going to go two, one, two, one, two, one, all the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they pass. The, the, as soon as I catch it, the two double teaming. Now, we don't give them a dribble to start with. Mm-hmm. And they've got to be able to make a pass to that next person so that it's going to be one. They've got to get open on the catch. Boom, then he gets to So it's like a... And then goes all the way down till the last person lays it in, and he takes takes a dribble, and then he throws it up to the next person that's going to be taking it out. While that person's making the layup and throwing it, the snake comes in. So the person that was one then goes to let's say the sideline side. That person bumps over. The person that bumps over now becomes the offensive player one. Mm-hmm. The guy that was the one then goes. So it just keeps bumping like a snake. So that now it's a you know it's two one two one two one all the way. But it's. Yep. You're either in a different defensive position or your defense becomes offense or offense. Then, So they rotate. To, and so we go through this. If a guy loses it, boop, start over. Yep. You know, And then we go all the way through. And then when everybody gets all the way through, gets to the, where they shoot the layup, then then we're done. So that, But this is a way that they're working on. Then eventually you give them a dribble. Mm-hmm. So now that I can take one dribble and make the pass, and this guy's got to time up his cut. He's got to make himself available. I catch it and I got to turn. I've got to be able to uh, stretch the defense, shrink the defense, stretch it, split it, make that next pass. And so that... You know that's another one. I, I I can go on all day with all these pressure. No, no, it's <laughs> good. Pressure I, defense. Well, like I you said, know, so that that's one snake passing. Um, have a whole glide dribble series um, that we used to do uh, when I was with with Coach Cal. We used to do it before we would play. Um, before we played the Patino teams or teams that would press all the time mm-hmm. where you're working on the balls behind your back foot and I'm in a closed position, kind of the old protection dribble, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, we get it behind our back foot and go. So we got to go. You're just basically gliding up the court as hard as you can. You're pounding in as hard as you can and then get to half court, jump stop and pivot. And then mm-hmm. I do all of it. I've added all that pivoting below, over, pivot till I say stop, you know, boop. All right. Now you're coming back left hand, mm-hmm. uh, jump stop. And then it's, okay, right hand, we're going to glide dribble at the fouling. We turn and sprint like a guy tries to take the charge or he comes out of his stance. Now I turn and go, boom, back into a glide dribble at half court, glide all the way to the foul line, the other end, turn and go, jump stop on the baseline, come back with the left hand. And then you go, same thing, I'm starting on the baseline. I glide dribble to the foul line, uh, back off, cross over, glide, get to half court or crossover sprint to half court back into the glide other fouling push back crossover sprint jump stop on the baseline that i don't know mm-hmm. if you follow on that or not, no 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 it makes sense uh, so you, know, you do that coming back so the whole team's doing this along the baseline and doesn't seem like it's hard but it is but 
the idea is no matter who has it, we can get it up the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can glide, dribble it. And my, my the point I would always say is, you know, at some point there's going to be somebody that's a better on-ball defender than you are ball handler. You better have something in your pocket to pull out. And so we can always pull out the glide dribble, mm-hmm. or we can at least get it up the court. So no matter what he's going to try to do to you or she's going to try to do to you, we're going to be able to get it. You want to try to stand you up and take the charge? We're going to turn and go. They're going to run a double-team at you. I'm going to push back, cross over, and be able to reverse the ball. Mm-hmm. So... You know, there's another one. So, again, we can keep going on this, but (laughs) handling pressure, I can't, uh, you know, I I just feel like if you can get a shot on goal every time, you give your team a a, a much better opportunity to to win the game. Well, that that, and you're not giving up easy baskets. Correct. And, you know, we always tell our kids, and I've said this on the pod, uh, you know, that we'll take we don't want to turn it over, but if we're gonna if we're gonna turn it over, let's travel. If we're gonna turn it over, let's take a ten second call or a five second call. But we right. don't we don't want it. We want to protect the basketball. Well, we don't yeah. we don't want to get ripped. Uh, we don't want to make a sloppy pass or or a, an unforced or a, a pass under duress. Let's be mentally stronger than the pressure that somebody's throwing at us. And if we are gonna make a mistake. Then let's make it again that dead ball turnover instead of a live ball turnover, and and that's part of I think coaching uh, kids when they're being pressured as well to have them understand okay no matter what we do we're probably going to make a mistake or two somewhere along the way here but here's the mistake we want to make as opposed to the mistake that the defense is trying to force us to make is that part of the teaching process for you as well as Ed. Absolutely. We were live ball turnovers kill you because, mm-hmm. you know, now you're you're invariably in an odd numbered situation and odd numbered situations. If you're on defense, doesn't know they don't normally turn out well mm-hmm. and uh, they don't end well for you. So, yeah, we want to try to limit our uh, the live ball turnovers as much as we can. And and uh, we want to give ourselves an opportunity to get a shot, you yep. know. And so, yeah, absolutely. I'm total agreement <laughs> ed Schilling, assistant men's basketball coach at grand canyon university i could go another hour or two but my players would probably be wondering where the <laughs> heck you know what happened to coach here because we we've got we've got our own workout here in a little bit uh coach it has been a privilege and a pleasure having you on the podcast here this week i hope you've enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin Oh, it's awesome. And again, Marty, thank you so much for what you do. I, I really, really appreciate it. I know I gain, uh, always pick up something uh, from you and what you're kind enough to post. And I know many, many others across the country do the same. So thank you for all your work. Well, thank you. I, that, that means a lot coming from a guy uh, like you, Coach, with your background and all the stuff that you've done and, and just picking your brain here for the last hour and 15 minutes or so. Uh, it, it's It's been terrific for me as well. I've got a couple pages worth the notes that I've been scrambling down here. So if if uh, listeners, if the editing isn't quite what it should be, it's because I'm learning as well. So uh, coach, I can't thank you enough here. If you could hold the line a quick second, we got to wrap up a couple things. Oh, shoot. Before I forget, uh, coach, any social media you want to plug for yourself or for sure. the, is it the, is it the antelopes or the lopers? What is the Grand Canyon mascot? It's the lopes, the antelopes. The absolutely. Lopes. Yes, and, yes. And, and I have my own Twitter, which is at 
Coach Schilling, that's C-O-A-C-H, and then Schilling is S-C-H-I-L-L-I-N-G. And then Instagram is Coach Ed Schilling. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go out, and I, uh, I did this as a coach, I would always have a thought for the day. And uh, that my players would have, I'd have my practice plan, I'd post it, and they'd have to learn the the thought for the day every day. And I'd get them on the baseline to start practice, and I'd say, all right, Marty, what's the thought for the day? So it might be one of your wooden quotes, uh, you know, go fast but don't hurry, or whatever it might be. Um, And they'd have to know it. If they didn't know it, they'd run down and back, and the rest of the guys would have to teach it to them by the time they got to the baseline. Well, I'm not the head coach, so I don't have to, I don't give a thought for the day, but I have it on Twitter and Instagram now. So if you want a thought for the day, you can go to Coach Schilling, at Coach Schilling or Coach Coach Ed Schilling on uh, Instagram, and, and you can get a thought for the day. Perfect. Perfect stuff. Uh, coaches, check out Coach Schilling's stuff here. Uh, just terrific conversation here. We've gone, you know, well over an hour, almost an hour and 20 minutes now. And, uh, it's just been a a great conversation. So it has been a, it's been a really, really good day. Uh, coach, if you could hold the line here just a second, uh, got to wrap up a couple things here. Uh, but thanks so much again for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Again, we want to thank coach Ed Schilling. We want to thank COSAC chiropractic, our founding sponsor, for the podcast here. If you, again, if you're in the Omaha area, uh, you know, don't hesitate to give Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi a call at 402-964-0300. Again, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, uh, download rate and review this one, five stars, give us five stars so we can move up into the uh, higher echelon of the podcasting world. So we can help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. Questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. Check out a penandanapkin.com. Again, newly redesigned the website, hundreds of new pages worth of features and topics on the website. And if you would be willing, folks, uh, check out our Patreon page. Any, anything that you could do to help out a pen and a napkin would be greatly appreciated. It has been, like I said, a privilege and a pleasure to have Ed Schilling, the men's assistant coach at Grand Canyon University on the podcast here today. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.